Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin, and today my guest is Peter Dernbark, who is a partner at Winkler Partners, which is a law firm here in Taiwan. Well, let's welcome Peter. Hi, Peter. Hi, Shirley. I'm happy to be here. Yes, finally we got to meet. It's nice meeting you. <laughs> yes, yes. So, um, you've been in Taiwan for twenty years. Well, actually, you know, just adding together, uh, because you've been away and then you came back and all that. So, twenty years. What brought you to Taiwan in the first place? First, I came to Taiwan for language study. So, I had studied some Chinese in my undergraduate when I was at George Washington University, but that was in the late '80s and early '90s. And unfortunately, after Tiananmen, many of the travel abroad programs were canceled.、Uh, so, when I was in law school, I found out about a fellowship. The Blakemore Foundation has a fellowship to encourage American professionals who have a Basis in Asian languages to come for a year of intensive language study. I see. So I took a year off between my second and third year of law school and came and studied here at the、uh, Inner University Program, which is now at the、uh, National Taiwan University Language Center. Yes, the most prestigious university here in Taiwan.、Um, so why do you want to learn Chinese? I was just interested in foreign languages. I studied international affairs in undergraduate, and I was always interested in foreign languages and different cultures. And so, when I was in undergraduate, I studied a little bit of Chinese and a little bit of Japanese. So there wasn't a master plan that was going to be、uh, explicitly focused on Chinese or or、uh, developing here. But at the same time, I was just interested in foreign languages. Oh,、uh, so would you say you're fluent in Japanese too? No, no, no. I haven't. I can't say. In, I can't speak any Japanese now. I studied some in university, but I've completely forgotten everything. How long was that? How many years?、Uh, just a couple years in yeah. university. Yeah. Yeah, I know my Japanese has gotten rusty too. Yes. So, but、um, that's how it is. If you're in the environment, you know, then then it helps. But if you're not, and if you don't keep it up. You just yeah it use it、rusty. or lose it yeah right yeah it really really okay so the language study program、you、so that's what here, that's、yeah. what brought me here first but at、mm. the time I had no idea how those two different things would come together I was studying law and I thought if I'm going to be an American lawyer it's once or twice in my career I will have a Chinese speaking client but I yeah, don't、really. see how the language ability would work with、uh, being an American lawyer so while I was studying here I looked up. Uh, all of the American lawyers who were working in Taiwan, which I think at the time was about five, <laughs> and、okay. uh, I just wrote to them. This was in the days before the internet, so I actually、wow. went to the、uh, American Citizen Service Center and looked through the Martindale Hubble books, you know,、uh-huh. and wrote them letters on paper、yeah. and asked them <laughs> if they would、uh, have time for me to take them out for a cup of coffee and ask them about their practice and have an informational in- interview to ask them and learn a little bit about what they can do. As a lawyer who's admitted in California or New York, whichever jurisdiction, and practicing here in Taiwan. Before you came to Taiwan, did you know anything about Taiwan? No. And after you came, are you saying that you fell in love with it and you decided to see if you might possibly get,、um, you know, a job here? Yes. The first thing I, I did fall in love with Taiwan right away. I had studied in Singapore before,、uh, in between undergraduate and law school. And when I came to Taiwan, I did fall in love with Taiwan right away.、Yeah. I just think that there's a dynamism and an energy in Taiwan that is—it's、uh, very、um, exciting, and it just felt wonderful to me. At the same time, at that time, I didn't really know if I would work in Taiwan, 
but I wanted to see how I would be able to combine a language ability in Chinese with being an American lawyer. And I thought it was likely that I would end up working in Hong Kong because uh. that was where most of the American law firms had an office in this part of, of East Asia. Right. So uh, I wasn't sure that I, I did not think it was likely that I would be able to work in, in Taiwan. But I did want to know what some of these American lawyers were able to do uh, in in Taiwan. And I also went and interviewed people in Hong Kong and Shanghai. Let's talk about uh, your field of you know, interest mm-hmm. in terms of at the law firm. It's more about intellectual property. Right. So I practice intellectual property law. And one of the handful of American lawyers uh, that I interviewed many, many Those years five. ago was yeah. Robin Winkler, uh-huh. who's the founder of our, our firm, Winkler Partners. Mm. And our firm is a partnership of Taiwan licensed lawyers and foreign lawyers. And we only have an office here in Taipei. But we're trying to bring together people with that local and foreign experience and perspective to try to provide a different type of legal service to our clients. So most of our work has some kind of transnational aspect to it. Either it's a global client with issues in Taiwan or a Taiwan clients with issues over, overseas. And my practice is in intellectual property. So we do a lot of work for uh, trademark owners, brand owners. Uh, we do a lot of work for media and entertainment companies in connection with copyright, obtaining the rights to, uh, to create their works and also protecting those rights once they have created them. Patents, design patents, trade secrets, different things like that. Yeah. I'm I'm guessing you're probably m- much more busy these last couple of years than before because there's so much issue about copyrights and everything because of the internet, you know, the richness of the, using the internet and everybody's like grabbing everybody else's photos and information and everything. So are you not much more busy than before now? With the changes in the intellectual property environment and also the changes in, in behavior, oh, we've seen a lot of changes in different areas. So one of the things that's been very exciting for this practice area is that Taiwan really sees intellectual property as key to its own competitiveness. So in the time that I've been here over the past 20 years, all of the major intellectual property laws have been revised several times. The Taiwan Intellectual Property Office very proactively looks at what are the best practices in Japan, the United States, Europe, other, other areas that they see as leading jurisdictions because they really appreciate that for Taiwan to remain relevant, to, for Taiwan to remain competitive, we really need to uh, attract people who are going to continue to innovate at a higher and higher level. Yeah. So it's actually been something where in some areas there have been a real decrease. When I first came to Taiwan, a lot of the night markets, you could find a lot of counterfeit goods. Yes. So just... Um, pr- uh, products that carried some of the, the famous cartoon characters uh, that everybody knows and loves yes. that were not licensed by the by the rights owner. Yeah, You don't see that very much anymore. Um, that's in part because Taiwan has really seen that they want to create an environment and an ecosystem where it protects consumers, it protects the creators, and it protects the competitors so that everybody can continue to innovate. And that is ultimately... Uh, beneficial for all the stakeholders in Taiwan. Mm. Now, don't you think Taiwanese people are have some really great innovators and inventors, even yes. designers? Yeah, it amazes me how many you know competitions we've won. Uh, we're talking overseas competitions, you know, and it seems like wow, we're quite an innovator, you know, uh, as a country itself. But um, it's interesting what you said just now about you know the trademarks and copyrights and all that kind of stuff because. 
when I hear how Taiwan really wants so much to globalize itself, all I can think of is like, well, well, polish up your English, you know, because I think that's the key. But now, actually, it, there, there is really a lot more aspects to this. So if it weren't for you guys, I guess Taiwanese people wouldn't have known, wow, oh, copyright, that's important too, because Taiwanese people can be copycats too. And- well, I think that uh, Taiwan has a culture of most companies are small to medium enterprises and everybody's got that entrepreneurial spirit so everybody's hustling everybody's innovating everybody's got their own secret recipe their secret sauce that makes this beef noodle soup better than the other beef noodle soup so i think that one of the things that for taiwan to go global i think in addition i agree with you that i think english is increasingly the international lingua franca of Mm. of international business the other thing that I think is really important that Taiwan companies can and should do a better job on is looking at the branding of their innovations because Taiwan has always had very good technical innovations. So there might have been a Taiwanese uh, panel maker that had the best technology in that. But that isn't something that's easy to communicate to consumers in markets all around the world unless you brand it, unless you make it something that's very easy for them to know. And then when they see that, then they know that has an additional value to them. And they're, they're willing to pay more for that because the, it communicates those technological innovations and the improvements. So I think that there are some examples. Uh, one of the uh, very popular Taiwan brands overseas now is Ding Taifeng. Oh, yes, the uh, the soup dumplings, yes. And that is a, a great example of, of a company that has, a, has established a well-earned reputation here in Taiwan. And they've been able to effectively leverage that overseas. But to be honest, there are any number of other examples in other areas, not just dumplings. We don't just eat dumplings. And there are a lot of innovations in uh, casual dining, in the food and beverage space. There are lots of innovations in, in tech, of course, electronics. There are lots of innovations in machine learning and AI. But some of those are not easy to communicate unless you have a clearly identifiable brand. And then that's something that consumers or your business-to-business peers see the additional value, and then you're able to to, uh, recoup more of that to then invest in further R&D. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. You know, it's funny because when I know that you're a lawyer, you know, I think about lawyers who actually appear in court, you know, that kind of things. But then I, I, I saw that your field of concentration is like, what, snack foods and pet care? And I was going like, okay, this is interesting. Have you ever actually appeared in court, though, because of these issues? Well, our firm is a partnership of Taiwan licensed lawyers and foreign lawyers who are in Taiwan. There's an accreditation called Attorney of Foreign Legal Affairs. So in 2001 or 2002, the uh, Taiwan changed its lawyers law to allow lawyers to form formal partnerships. Local lawyers can form partnerships with foreign lawyers. And our firm was the first firm to be approved by the Ministry of Justice to operate as a partnership of local and foreign lawyers. Mm. So I am authorized. I'm an uh, associate member of the local bar, but I'm not a full member of the local bar. And I'm not authorized to issue Taiwan legal opinions or appear in Taiwan courts. Uh-huh. Now, oh, I'm admitted okay. in California and Washington, D.C., But the local licensed lawyers in our firm are able to appear in in Taiwan courts. And in the intellectual property field, one of the great innovations was uh, many years ago, 
um, I'm sorry, I'm not remembering if it's 2008, but uh, several years ago, Taiwan established a specialized court to hear intellectual property cases oh, okay. because they appreciated that this was a very specialized area of law. And so while criminal cases are still held, uh, heard as the court of first instance is the local district court, but for civil claims or for administrative suits, then all of those are heard uh, as the court of first instance by the IP court. And that's a group of 15 or 16 specialized, specially trained judges who only hear IP-related cases. Mm -hmm. And that's been great because it provides a much higher degree of certainty for rights owners and also counsel who are advising rights owners on how the laws will likely be interpreted in this particular factual situation. Mm. Some years ago, I remember interviewing um, someone uh, who started one of the first branding companies here in Taiwan because he realized, and he's from the States too, right? Yeah. And he realized that Taiwan just need to be taught about the importance of branding. Right. You know? Yeah, we just need all the, all the outside help that we can have yeah, well, to get us going. Well, I think it's all a collaborative effort. And I think that you can see that in many different areas. And I think that Taiwan is, uh, is an environment and an ecosystem that is always open to that type of collaboration. But perhaps they can, they can appreciate the importance of it and put a little bit more focus on that. So I'm excited to see that all of those developments seem to be happening. And so uh, as we see more of that, I think that we'll see more Taiwan companies break into the, the best global brands. And I think that will be something that will really have a major impact for everyone here in Taiwan. Can you share an example of a pet care case, <laughs> intellectual property case? I don't know. Well, or there are, snack food. <laughs> well, there are a lot of uh, examples. I can't share any example, uh, individual examples of oh, uh, okay. cases for my for my clients. Oh. But you can. Um, uh, there are a number of examples where there will be a market leading product, and so let's say it's a soft drink, uh, a soft drink product, and it will have a very distinctive trade dress. So that includes the brand itself, but also the color combination, the shape of the bottle of the can or the can. The overall impression when you walk into the convenience store and you reach for that, you're not actually looking very carefully to see what exactly is written on the label, but you immediately know what it is because of the totality of the trade dress. Mm -hmm. And so there are examples where um, competitors or uh, people in the retail uh, uh, space might adopt some of those elements, but mm -hmm. put a different brand on it. But the whole point is to try to create some type of association in the minds of consumers. Yes, you can be sure where this topic's leading to. Copyright issues, which we're going to get to in next week's In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. 